trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Hey, glad you could tune in today. Programs like this one exist because the battle for your mind is real. And I want to make it clear, I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'm going to try to offer some things that will give you cause to think, but what you do with that information, well, that is entirely up to you. So if you'd like to revel in wrong think, I would invite you to pull up a chair and let's talk about some things that actually matter. Our program is brought to you by great sponsors each day. They include MonticelloCollege.org, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah, and LifesavingFood.com. I know you've looked around. You're probably starting to notice some of the shortages on store shelves, not just the grocery stores. You notice this in the hardware store. You notice this in other places. If you work in manufacturing, you probably caught on to this. My intent here is not to give you more reason to wring your hands or be nervous, but simply to point out that uh, this is the time. If there was a time to get yourself prepared for potential widespread shortages, maybe even some serious shortages, particularly in terms of food, this is the time to jump on it. That's why I'd invite you, please go to my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com and click on Life-Saving Food. Look around. I mean, I think you'll find some things there that, uh, that could be very useful for you, whether you're just starting out with your food storage or whether you're a long-time you know, prepper, you know what you're doing, and just have some gaps you want to fill in in your program. Here's the great part, though. You use the coupon code HYDE, H-Y-D-E, at checkout, and they will throw you a 20% discount. This is for my listeners, and it's a better discount than you would get by going to, uh, say, ReadyWise Foods themselves. Check it out. Take the time. Get the preparation done. Now is a perfect time because right now, very few people are nervous about those those empty shelves. By the time they do start getting nervous, it's going to be too late. So this would be a good time to act. Where to begin today? I think we're going to start with, uh, this is one of the hardest truths that I've had to face as an individual. And I think that as a society, we have a very difficult time accepting this. And that is the realization that nobody is coming to save you. I mean, no offense. There are a lot of people I know who are working very hard. We're going to get the right people in office. You know, I see people stepping up and running for office. I'm not trying to discourage you from doing so. But I am going to point out your problems and my problems, maybe I should say our societal problems and cultural problems, they're not going to be solved by a politician. You put the most principled politician into a particular position. It isn't going to change the overall structure of what is in place right now. So that means that you and I are largely responsible for stepping up and doing what we can within our own sphere of influence. Now, that sounds daunting, right? Because, you know, I'm not an expert in anything. Well, except talking, maybe. I don't know. I'm not even that good at that. But we tend to underestimate just what we can do. And knowing that nobody is coming to save you can sometimes be the motivation to do the right thing. Got a great essay here from M.E. Boyd. This is from M or AmericanThinker.com. The time has come to nobly save or meanly lose. Okay, here's what he means. 
He's actually quoting President Lincoln's uh, annual message to Congress in 1862. So this is what the, the Civil War raging. Lincoln says, we shall nobly save or meanly lose the last best hope of Earth. For the record, I think Lincoln was wrong to try to forcibly keep the, the departing states in the Union. But listen to what Emmy Boyd has to say here. He says, Victor David Hansen describes what's happening in America as two forces squeezing the life out of the American citizen. If you can imagine a nutcracker, the crushing force of which is simultaneous, that's the feeling for over half the American population. And he asked, how can they mount a resistance when the relentless compression is coming from the top, that would be the woke turned weapon, and from the bottom up, banking turned big brother? Now, Emmy Boyd says instinct tells us take cover with familiar safeguards. Our routines are familiar safeguards. Our families and communities are familiar safeguards. Our governance systems are familiar safeguards. Well, call 911 for help. Ask to see the curriculum at your child's school. Write your congressman or senator. That sounds familiar, right? But he says at this moment in American life, we cannot fully count upon familiar safeguards. 911, I'm sorry, 911. Wow. That was a great Freudian slip. 911 may not be available. <clears throat> the police may be defunded in your community. The school board you thought had your child's best interest as its chief mission may have had the exact opposite in mind. Get a copy of sex education materials produced by Planned Parenthood called Get Real, and you'll see exactly what your child is experiencing in many public schools, starting in kindergarten. The person you sent to Congress will send you a form letter thanking you for contacting his or her office and asking for future support. Now, surely our Constitution's there to help us. But Emmy Boyd says, our federal Constitution, with its three co-equal branches, is supposed to protect the liberties with which our Creator has endowed us. We are endowed as individuals, not identity groups, to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, among other things. No government has graciously granted us rights. Our rights come from God. He says we have a right to our own associations. We have a right to personal privacy in our affairs. We have a right to raise our children and educate them as we, their parents, see fit. And we have a right to resist being the walnut and the nutcracker that the wicked and perverse forces are trying so hard to pulverize. Now, while all of this is true, and however we grateful we are for the blessings of liberty, he says the Constitution cannot protect us where personal honor is absent. Think about what he just said there. The Constitution is not meant to come to the rescue. It's meant to prevent rescue from being needed by requiring those entrusted to protect us to swear on their honor that they will restrain themselves from operating outside of its boundaries. So what then do we do if that oath has been broken and honor in many of our national leaders no longer exists? Well, he says we have to rescue ourselves. We must rescue ourselves against great odds analogous to the, those at the Battle of the Chosin Reservoir during the Korean War. It takes real courage. And he walks through the whole situation in November 1950. The conditions in Korea were Arctic. American troops, as part of the U.N. forces on the Korean Peninsula, were trying to reach the, Ra the Yalu River <clears throat> and reunite North and South Korea. But the Chinese took a military stand to prevent it. 300,000 Chinese troops thwarted the U.N.'s two-pronged attack. 
and American commanders, unaware of the enemy force's strength, ordered our forces north to the river. Now, those troops were stretched thin in the freezing cold. Night after night, Chinese troops encircled and stormed American positions. The terrain was brutal. And finally, with U.N. forces in retreat, one regimental combat team was stranded alone. Lieutenant Colonel Don C. Faith, Jr. took charge. And for four days and nights, he he fought superior numbers until his unit disintegrated under phosphorus grenades and grenades, rather, and unrelenting fire. He remained with his men and died in the cold atop his jeep. Eventually, 670 men straggled to safety. Another 319 were rescued. And their four days and nights of resistance gave U.N. forces the time needed to be evacuated by by sea. Colonel Faith was left in North Korea in an unmarked grave. He was finally returned to the U.S. in 2013. And the point here is that that's the kind of heroism that we need now. American citizens are still waiting to be evacuated from Afghanistan. The State Department criticizes those volunteers who are trying to help. The commander-in-chief has not given the order to rescue those abandoned. Therefore, we must rescue them by supporting those who are making the attempt. We have our country being invaded by hundreds of thousands of people of unknown character and health. And so M.E. Post, M.E. Boyd, rather, says, It's up to we the people, with inspiration from heroes like Colonel Faith, to nobly save the last best hope on earth as they did with actual battle, but not as they did with actual battle, but simply by standing up for our convictions. Now that comes with a cost though. Maybe you've noticed people are being turned out of their jobs. They're being, you know, pushed out of polite society. But Emmy Boyd says the nutcracker forces attempting to squeeze the life out of America will have no power over a knowledgeable, courageous, and honorable citizenry. It's that last quality that gives you the courage to stand up. This is the call of duty behind the United States Constitution and the God-given rights it protects. That's probably the most political I'm going to sound on uh, the program today, but I think this is true. And it doesn't have to start at the top. The kind of saving that we need actually starts at the individual level. Do you know who you are? Do you know what you stand for? If you can answer yes to these questions, my friend, you are most of the way there to being an effective defender. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, thanks for joining us here on the show today. I publish show notes for every hour of the show that I do. And I would encourage you to check out those show notes, not because I'm such a fantastic uh, compiler of information and my annotations are witty and insightful. I mean, I want to believe that's the case, but really, it's so you can continue to dig deeper and do your own homework and own the information out there that you really are looking for. Check them out there at the BrianHydeShow.com. If you find value in what I'm doing, I would ask you to consider becoming a subscriber. You can subscribe for free, and I will email the show notes to you each time that, uh, that they are published. Very, very simple. If you find value and you think, man, I'd like to see Brian keep on doing this, 
consider becoming a supporter. There are a couple of different ways you can do it. $5 a month, $10 a month. I can't tell you how much it helps and how greatly it's appreciated. So as I've been watching the seasons start to shift from summer to fall slash pre-winter, some people got a pretty good dose of winter, you know, with, uh, without, uh, without even trying for this early in, in the year. I've had a really strong sense this year that humanity itself is entering a new and uncertain season. And I know that may, that may sound kind of metaphysical. Maybe I sound like a hippie dude. Hey, man, the vibes I'm picking up here are kind of harsh, bro. You know, but I'm glad to see that I'm not the only one who's picking up on these vibes. Bertine Schaefer, in a piece published on LewRockwell.com, talks about a change in the weather. And I thought, this was really interesting. Maybe you can relate to this. And she starts with a quote from someone a long time ago in China. May you live in interesting times. Bertine Schaefer says it was windy this morning. Little bunches of leaves on sticks litter the sidewalk. Too big to be twigs, too small to be branches. The tops of trees swish around in the sky above my mom's Qigong class in the park. And I remember how surprised I was when I first visited China 35 years ago now and saw all the old people doing Tai Chi and Qigong in the parks, the families taking their one child out for walks, people just getting on with their lives rather than spending every waking moment battling the tyrannical state as I had imagined they would. It's so awful out there. How do you stand it? I hear over and over from friends who don't live in California, friends who left long ago. And she says, yes, I guess it is awful. I guess. But that's just not what I see. She says, I run into a friend who owns a local business, and we immediately say to her, and immediately say to her, the pilots. Her eyes light up, and we talk for a few minutes about everything that's happening. This is such an exciting time to be alive, my friend says. Yes, I agree. We talk about this incredible moment in time the unprecedented opportunity we have to change things. All the work that needs doing on so many different fronts and how little time we have to get it all done. We both leave the conversation more energized and eager to get that, to get on with that work. Now, Bertine Schaefer says, look, to be clear, I don't celebrate anything the federal government or the government of California has done over these past two years. Their actions have been devastating to millions of people's lives, literally deadly for millions of others. Much of what they've done is criminal, and she says, I in no way endorse any of it. But there is a silver lining, and it's this. These governments and many more around the world have taken a torch to their credibility, their own legitimacy. Never again will any thinking person accept unquestioningly the pronouncements of public health authorities. Never again will they turn to CNN, the New York Times, the Washington Post, or any other mainstream media outlets as trusted sources of information. And more people than ever are aware of just how broken the worlds of scientific research and centrally controlled medical systems are. She says, as I leave my friend, the wind blows a lone cloth mask in front of me and it rolls across my path like a tumbleweed. This wind, it's tearing apart old alliances, old tribes, even long-held friendships, even families. But it's also sweeping people into new groupings, pushing us together out of necessity, Whereupon many of us realize these are the people we should have had in our lives all along. These are the right alliances, better tribes. And it seems crazy that it's taken this wild windstorm to bring us together. 
By afternoon, she says, the wind is in a real fury. Our giant inflatable pumpkin family has been blown across the yard and now sits huddled against our tiny weeping cherry tree. I go out and corral them back into place next to the giant inflatable Halloween tree, and for a while, anyway, any all seems as it should be. Now, Bertine Schaefer says, I don't mean to suggest that any of this is going to be easy or that there's nothing to be afraid of. She says, my dad spent probably the last half of his life endlessly telling us all that it was all coming down. He passed away on December 29th, 2019, and there is some irony or perhaps grace in the fact that only a short time later, it did indeed begin its rapid collapse. What we are witnessing now are the death throes of a gargantuan, destructive, overfed, overconfident behemoth. And she says, my father would have recognized this, and I think it would have made him more optimistic than ever before. Now, the thing is wailing and thrashing around now, and to be sure, it can still do a lot of damage. But it is not wailing and thrashing because it is strong. It is wailing and thrashing because it is dying. And its one plan for saving itself, enslaving a compliant population, is not working out as it had hoped. The thing is, the thing doesn't really understand humanity as well as it thinks it does. And it has grossly miscalculated. We are beginning to experience the results of that miscalculation. And yes, of course it could get even uglier before the thing goes down. We're seeing some of that ugliness here in California, she says, or so I'm told. All I see is a great lumbering behemoth ready to be pushed over and wide open spaces ready to be built upon. And we are building. People are starting private membership associations in education and other areas. And she has a link to the one that she has uh, modeled after mutual aid societies of a century ago. With the mission of educating for a free society. Creating health care that respects individual choice. And serving those with special needs and the elderly. She links to another one, a grocery store selling organic products to its members. Started by a couple in Penn Valley, California. And there are many more coming. The point being that people are exiting a broken system and they are creating a new. They're pulling their children out of government schools, in droves, something that would have pleased her father enormously, and creating learning pods and other tools for homeschooling families. They're creating solutions to state control over travel, connecting people locally to support each other. And most importantly, they are holding criminal actors accountable for their actions and in so doing, laying the foundations for a legitimate system of justice. But so much more needs to be done. The systems that are failing are critical ones. Healthcare, food production, food supply chains, travel and shipping. And as they fail, the consequences can be deadly. Creating alternative systems is literally a matter of life and death now. Healthcare has especially reached a level of dystopian dysfunction and is in desperate need of rebuilding outside of the established top-down system. She says, as I write this, Union leaders and executives at Southwest Airline continue to insist that thousands of flight cancellations this past weekend had nothing to do with pilots walking off the job in opposition to the airline's vaccine mandate for employees. The number of families choosing to homeschool their children has tripled from pre-pandemic levels, and people all over the world have been filling the streets for months now with peaceful protests against the imposition of vaccine passports. And if you pay attention, you'll notice their numbers are only growing. Bertine Schaefer says, I look outside and the decorations from our gathering over the weekend are whipping madly from side to side. 
The Oktoberfest banners look like they may take flight any instant now and carry the whole backyard up into the air with them. The sticks on the ground are now branches. But this is simply no time to be disheartened by those who do not comprehend the problem or, indeed, who are themselves part of the problem. She says, Never before in my lifetime have we been so close to tipping over the monstrosity that is the state, along with all of the stories and beliefs that support it. And she says, Never before has it been so urgent that we do so. So she says, We're going to tip this thing over. Just watch. Or better yet, help us do it. Check out the link to this article in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just want to give a quick shout out here to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah. Now, here's the good news. If you are one of the many thousands of people currently relocating to the Intermountain West, and especially if you're going to be residing in the state of Utah, these are the folks you want to talk to about getting your home mortgage. It's the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah. Call them at 435-703-4522. Heather's NMLS ID is 715386. Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. And I guess I would tell you, just get in touch with her and and draw upon her decades of experience in the lending industry and let her be the one to make things happen when time is of the essence. I've got an email link in my show notes at thebrianhideshow.com that will take you directly to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. Well, public schools have been hemorrhaging students for the last year and a half. Part of this was due to school closures. Some of it was due to lockdown policies. But I think nothing has really solidified how the government views us, the citizenry, more than the Department of Justice stepping up to treat parents like potential terrorists. I mean, for I, I know it may sound like hyperbole. Really, Brian, they, they're treating them like terrorists? No, but... That's what the school board association asked. Well, these parents are coming into these school board meetings and they are causing disruption and they're disagreeing with us and they're angry and they're loud because they're not feeling heard. Yes, but it's not like they're looting or burning the place down. But hey, you know, let's not go there. And what does the federal government do? Clicks its heels and says, yes, sir, we'll get right on that. Look at ways that we can protect these things. If you can't recognize that naked assertion of authority over your child's education, and I'm talking from the highest levels of our government, I don't know what more I could tell you. I, I can't think of a, a stronger indicator that, look, folks, this is, this is power being consolidated in a really unhealthy way. But I have some good news for you. And it comes from our friend Kerry McDonald from the Foundation for Economic Education, Another massive fall exodus from U.S. public schools. That is actually good news. This is a boon for proponents of school choice. Kerry says many parents pulled their children out of school last year for homeschooling and other private options as schools remained shuttered due to the coronavirus response. Nationwide, homeschooling numbers tripled last year from their pre-pandemic levels. 
And that was driven largely by black families who left district schools for homeschooling at the highest rate of any demographic group and who are now overrepresented in the homeschooling population compared to K-12 through public schools. So with most schools open for full-time in-person learning this year, it seemed reasonable to assume that parents would eagerly re-enroll their children in their local school district, tabling last year's alternative education plans. But Kerry says that doesn't seem to be the case. In fact, some school districts, such as Los Angeles, have seen a larger public school enrollment drop this fall compared to last fall. L.A. public school enrollment declined by 4.76% in the 2020-2021 academic year. While new data showed that the enrollment is down by another 27,000 students this fall compared to last year, that's a drop of nearly 6%. Now, the enrollment decline for L.A. public schools was captured as of September, September 17th. That was the fifth Friday of the new school year or the day that the district annually counts student enrollment. And, of course, this was just after the L.A. school board mandated the COVID-19 vaccine for all eligible public school students. And before, Governor Gavin Newsom announced that all students in the state would be required to be injected with the new vaccine. Kerry says, as I wrote last month, these these COVID-19 vaccine mandates for children and adolescents will likely lead to more parents fleeing public schools for private learning models particularly as new data emerges about the link between COVID-19 vaccine and the higher rates of myocarditis in teenage boys and young men. The New York Times reported last week, boys between 16 and 19 years of age had the highest incidence of myocarditis after receiving their second dose. It also said that the that it's understandable, actually Kerry says it's understandable because of this that parents would be reluctant to have their children get the COVID shot. And the Times adds, the risk of heart problems in boys that age was about nine times higher than in unvaccinated boys of the same age. Oh my goodness, are we allowed to acknowledge this or is this something we're supposed to pretend doesn't really exist? Carrie says, with 20 to 30 percent of Los Angeles teachers and staff currently not on track to meet the district's October 15th vaccination deadline, fewer students may alleviate some of the pending staffing shortages resulting from those who are terminated or for not getting vaccinated. The district is already contending with 2,000 unfilled positions and a dearth of applicants. Now, L.A. isn't the only large school district seeing dwindling numbers of students. New Chicago data reveal their district enrollment is down by 10,000 students this year, on top of the 14,500 students that the school system lost last year. According to Chicago NPR, the reasons for the declines are many, experts say, including demographic changes in the city as well as the pandemic and the upheaval it caused, which may have motivated some parents to pull their children from the school district. Carrie McDonald says more Chicago parents are continuing to homeschool their children. Local Catholic schools and other private schools are experiencing enrollment boosts, according to NPR. So last year, public school enrollment dropped an average of 3% nationwide as parents turned to homeschooling in private schools or even delayed kindergarten entry. Most districts were given an enrollment reprieve, meaning their school funding was frozen at 2019-2020 spending levels in the wake of the pandemic response. But this year, that headcount matters. In Detroit, count day occurred last Wednesday. And what they mean by this is that determines how many students are currently attending the city's public schools, which also determines how much funding those schools will get. District officials resorted to bribery 
offering Detroit Pistons base basketball tickets rather to uh, students to make sure they were in attendance because they had to secure those higher funding levels. Now, last year, Detroit enrollment fell, their district enrollment fell 3%, while statewide public school enrollment declined more than 4%. According to a new National Bureau of Economic Research working paper, which analyzed 2020 student enrollment trends in Michigan, the majority of families who left public schools last year chose homeschooling, while most of the remaining families selected private schools. Researchers also found low-income households and families of color were more likely to flee district schooling. Same kind of thing going on in Seattle. 1,300 fewer students enrolled in the district this fall, likely to cost public schools approximately $28 million in state funding. Smaller school districts, she says, are also experiencing enrollment declines with a corresponding dip in funding. In West Virginia, Marion County student enrollment is down 230 students this year. Their district is set to lose a million dollars in school funding as a result. Many students in the district shifted to homeschooling, which has grown from grown to 730 students from just about 500 students in a typical year. So this would be an ideal time, says Kerry McDonald, for state legislators, legislatures rather, to implement school choice policies. Now she's talking about things like education savings accounts, vouchers, tax credit scholarship programs in order to enable education dollars to follow students instead of merely funding bureaucratic school systems. Indeed, she says nearly three-quarters of U.S. taxpayers now support education choice policies. And it's been a banner year for school choice, with many states introducing or strengthening school choice policies. Now, she goes on to describe why privatization is a good thing. And there's a great quote here from Leonard Reed in his 1964 essay, about a truly free market in education and how it would unleash creativity, possibility, and efficiency just like it has in other sectors. Reed says, quote, Creative thought on education would manifest itself in millions of individuals. Such genius as we potentially and compositely possess would assert itself and take the place of deadening restraints. Any person who understands the free market knows without qualification, without any qualification whatsoever, that there would be more education and better education. And a person with a faith in free men is confident that the costs per unit of learning accomplished would be far less. End quote. So Kerry McDonald says, look, far from being worrying, this current exodus from public schools is a positive educational change that's actually good for families, students, and taxpayers alike. As the government's grip on education loosens, entrepreneurs are stepping in to create new learning models and schooling alternatives that provide the personalization, flexibility, and variety that we expect in all other parts of our lives. Prompted by the pandemic response that exposed the glaring inadequacies of government schooling, more parents are now demanding education choices. Buoyed by an expanding free market in education, she says these parents and their children will enjoy an abundance of educational solutions in years to come. See, all that had to happen was we had to get so uncomfortable that we just couldn't stand it anymore. I, too, see this as a very positive development. Regardless of what you choose, because after all, it should be your choice. Whose kids are they anyway, right? Stay with us. We'll be back in just a few moments. This 
is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Once again, I just want to take a moment to thank you for being a part of this audience. Unless, of course, you're being strapped down and forced to listen to this as punishment. <laughs> but even then, I hope that I'm giving you some encouragement. Hey, your day is coming. <laughs> this isn't going to last forever. No, I'm, I'm hoping that... Uh, I hope people are finding um, a, a sense of direction, a sense of, of courage to stand up, to speak out as necessary, and to hold the line as it pertains to claiming, using, and defending their individual rights. I know it's hard. I know it is intensely difficult with all the pressure being brought from all these different angles. But it matters. And the fact that you're listening indicates to me you're probably one of those people to whom truth matters more than mere partisan concerns. So I welcome you to my audience and appreciate uh, your listenership. Well, as things are getting more volatile around us in the economic, political, social, and cultural realms, the U.S. and much of the West is headed into a fourth turning. Got some great insights here from Doug Casey, another interview he did with International Man, in which he was asked about uh, authors William Strauss and Neil Howe's book, The Fourth Turning, outlining the recurring generational cycles that have occurred throughout history. Doug Casey says, you know, when I, I read Strauss and Howe's first book, Generations, which was published back in 1992, and he says, I thought it was brilliant. So he says, let me start off by recommending both Generations as well as The Fourth Turning to everybody. Both books offer a quite scholarly, readable, and prescient view of the cyclicality of history. And they also offer a very plausible forecast for the 2020s. Doug Casey says history is best seen as cyclical rather than a straight line progress to some preordained end the way both Marxists and the Abrahamic religion see it. But then Ecclesiastes has its famous quote that there's nothing new under the sun. Plato in the Republic talks about how the younger generations, and we're talking 4th century B.C., can't stand up to the moral values of their forefathers. Older people have always thought the younger generation wouldn't quite measure up. In fact, he says in American history, you'll recall, the younger generation were the beatniks in the 50s, the hippies in the 60s, the yuppies in the 80s. So it's a passing parade. Older people have a tendency to think the world is going downhill. Nothing new there, but there's always a, rever a rebirth. Niccolo Machiavelli in his Florentine history said, Virtue gives birth to tranquility, tranquility to leisure, leisure to disorder, disorder to ruin. And similarly, from ruin, order is born, from order, virtue, from virtue, glory, and good fortune. So what he's saying here is the bottom line is that societies arise from poverty through moral strength. And that brings them prosperity, but that prosperity brings on arrogance, and the arrogance brings on laziness, which brings on weakness and moral decline. Then they're reduced to a condition of slavery and poverty again. In fact, he says change is the only constant except in human nature. So Doug Casey says, as I look at the United States, it seems to me the peak of American culture was the time just before Teddy Roosevelt came into office. Now, Teddy is certainly among the five worst presidents, and there's a lot of competition for that title. 
He was the first real progressive president. He wanted the government actively involved in all areas of life. Now, that's not to say Teddy Roosevelt wouldn't have been a great drinking pal or a wonderful guy to go camping with or a fun guy to have an intellectual conversation with. He had a lot of admirable personal values, but he was a nationalist, a statist, and a warmonger. And he says, that's why I say he was a horrible president. The long-term trend of U.S. overseas imperialism started with the Spanish-American War and the building of an overseas American empire in Cuba, Puerto Rico, the Philippines, and Hawaii, followed by World War I. And the U.S. has gone from being non-interventionist to now having many hundreds of bases around the world and trying to give orders to every other country in the world. And that kind of arrogance always ends badly. As a civilization... A culture. He says the U.S. has been on an accelerating path downhill for about 120 years now. And he says that's true, even while science and technology have greatly increased the general standard of living. So it's a mistake to conflate a higher standard of living with higher moral values. That's what Machiavelli was talking about. He says, I question whether that trend will change at least until we have a genuine crisis. Why not? Well, because a lot of the way a society acts comes from the way kids are brought up. The values that are inculcated in them when they're young. And he says, increasingly kids are taught what I would call the wrong values. St. Ignatius said this in the 17th century. Lenin repeated it in the 20th century. Both said if you indoctrinate someone in his youth, chances are you've directed his worldview for the rest of his life. So cultural Marxists are now totally in control of the U.S. educational system. And actually, they have been for a couple of generations. That's absolutely the case in the colleges and universities, but also in the high schools and even in the grade schools. Kids are being taught to be socialists, eco-warriors, social justice warriors, and woke from an early age. And it's really serious. And it's not a cyclical phenomenon. Doug Casey says, this is one of the few areas in which I take some issue with the fourth turning. That trend towards collectivism and statism seems to be a secular long-term trend that's still accelerating. But, he says, there are still a few bright spots. Libertarians, for instance, are somewhat more prominent than in the past. But the fact that libertarians believe in personal freedom in the face of a societal trend in the opposite direction makes me tend to believe that they're actually genetic mutants. They're just a small percentage of the population whose nature has resisted the prevailing nurture. Now, he says, I only say that partially because of my own experience. I grew up in what could jokingly be called a cannibalistic death cult and was imbued with all kinds of strange notions by nuns and priests at the schools that I went to. Doug Casey says, I rejected them intuitively and intellectually, but they still stick to you like tar. It can take years to wash off the effects of early indoctrination. So he says, I'm more of a maverick than most people are. However, most just continue to believe what they're taught as kids reflexively and automatically, right or wrong. So I don't really think there's much hope of a serious change in the direction of American culture, at least until a major crisis. And the outcome of that is in doubt. Now, International Man then asks Doug Casey, okay, that's the long-term trend. Where are we in the generational cycle now? Are we moving into the fourth turning and headed for a crisis? Here's Doug Casey's answer. He says, Strauss and Howe take a cyclical point of view over the course of roughly 80 years or four generations. 
To briefly summarize their theory, there are four turnings. A high, an awakening, an unraveling, and a crisis. So over the past couple of decades, we've been undergoing the unraveling where old values fall apart. Next, Strauss and Howe predicted a crisis starting about 2015, which tests the very existence of the society, or at least the way it's run. They go beyond seeing generations as simply being liberal or conservative. According to Strauss and Howe, there are four generational archetypes that last over a cycle of 80 years, 20 years per generation, corresponding to the turnings. So without going into all the details, they see baby boomers as being a prophet archetype generation. The authors are ideologically oriented, fire and brimstone types, very much like Bernie Sanders on the left or Donald Trump on the right, kind of biblically apocalyptic by nature. They were quite correct in defining the Generation X types as the so-called nomad generation. These are the kids who learn to take care of themselves and are not so ideological in the way they think. The millennials, who are who are relevant at the moment, they correspond, in Strauss and Howe's view, to the World War II generation. And they would be the frontline soldiers in coming crises and conflicts. So what happens after a crisis? Is there a positive way forward? Doug Casey says historically, the answer is almost never, at least in the short run. The best example being, uh, or the best recent example being the French Revolution. It got worse with Robespierre, a Bernie Sanders of the era, followed by Napoleon. Or take the case of the Russian Revolution. As necessary as it was to get rid of Nicholas II, it got worse with Lenin and then even worse with Stalin. But even in those cases, France and Russia eventually recovered. So if it all comes unglued in the U.S. in the next decade, those two revolutions could be templates. That's kind of a spooky thought, but he says, look at the way leading Democrats think. Listen to what they're saying. They're echoing Robespierre and Lenin. And sadly, the Republicans aren't much better because although they sometimes talk the talk of peace and personal freedom, they almost never walk the walk. So as far as what's going to happen, Doug Casey says, well, he says, I'll hazard a guess that 50 years from now, the United States, and for that matter, most countries, are not going to exist in anything like their present form. He says the best solution is a peaceful breakup into smaller political subdivisions, as opposed to a civil war, which is a contest between one or more groups for the control of a central government. If you don't have a copy of The Fourth Turning, you really should consider getting it and understanding it. Thanks again for joining us. This is The Brian Hyde Show.